Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. This is 1 Samuel. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But the Lord said, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are, he, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah, the word of God. You may be seated. There are times where the question, what's wrong with you? Asked lovingly, asked sincerely, for a variety of reasons is is still insufficient. 
The better question, the question that needs to be asked with all sincerity and and empathy is this. What happened to you? It's the question that you might ask when someone very close to you, someone that you love, your kids, a close friend, your spouse comes in and and enters a room and, and normally the greeting, the salutation, it's so warm and welcoming. This time it's anything but. So you ask, what happened? What happened to you? It's the question that you might ask someone you haven't seen in a long while. Maybe a high school classmate, a college friend, an old co-worker. It's someone that you remember being so full of life. But now, to put it nicely, things look different. Where there used to be so much vitality, it's now visible apathy. And you wonder, when they stop caring? Now, maybe this time you don't ask it, but, but you think it. What happened to you? That's the question. That if we'd seen him, we'd need to ask Samuel as well. Samuel, what happened to you? Because you see, Samuel was that guy. Samuel was that guy who was dedicated to serve the Lord from very, very early in his age. And then when the Lord called him with robust enthusiasm, oh, Samuel answered, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then for the rest of his life, Samuel served the Lord by speaking for the Lord to the Lord's people, and he did so with strength. He did so with decisiveness. He did so by God's grace with godly influence. But now here's Samuel. If you read earlier in chapter 15, he actually stayed up all one night crying to the Lord. When he should have gone with the king who he served and advised, he just went home. He just went home to Ramah. Samuel is hopeless. When we meet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he's kind of moping around with low self-esteem. He goes home, covers himself with a blanket of worry, wraps himself up in it, only to take it down and see that he's even more lonely and more helpless than when he got there. And we watch this this sort of cloud of sadness roll in. You know what that's called? It's called unbounded despair. Despair that has no end in sight. Samuel, what happened to you? If you asked him that, he would have told you. He would have told you that this is what happened. The Lord regretted and then rejected making Saul king over Israel. Let me unpack that phrase because... 
when the Lord regrets something, it doesn't mean he made a mistake. When the Lord regrets something, it, it's kind of like my parents who, who told 16-year-old Matt, no, you cannot take the car out driving when it's sleeting and there's already a sheet of ice on the road. And then when 16-year-old Matt threw a temper tantrum like a two-year-old, they relented. They let him borrow the car, but not before they gave him a lesson about how you drive, why it's unwise to drive, and what you should do if your tires slip around. No, it's like this. It's them picking up the phone a couple hours later when I slipped, hit a sign, was in a ditch. That's regret. My parents did nothing wrong. I did something wrong. When the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel, the Lord didn't do anything wrong. Saul did. Saul stopped listening to the Lord, and so the Lord rejected him as king. Samuel, what happened to you? That's what happened. God rejected Saul as king. That's why we see Samuel with unbounded despair because of these circumstances, outside circumstances. What happened to you? If you were to answer that, if someone who loves you and cares about you asked you that with sincerity, how would you answer that? Is there something that has made you feel helpless, hopeless? Something that has lowered your self-esteem? Is there something that has caused you to want to go home, cover yourself in a blanket of worry, or maybe actually has covered yourself in a blanket of worry, except you just wake up and, and you see you're even more alone, even more without help than when you first began? I don't know. I, I don't know what's happened to you. And, and maybe you would say, there, there's nothing. There's not one thing that has happened to me. But maybe you're world-weary. You just, you just look at the things going on in the world. It makes you tired. And if you feel tired long enough, you, you really do, though. You end up at the exact same place, discouraged, and, and maybe even with unbounded despair. I don't know, maybe you won't admit that you're experiencing that now, but can we agree on this? All too easily, all too easily, our circumstances, outward circumstances, they can discourage us. Can I share with you, though, how just dangerous this is? And let's pretend for a moment that this, this isn't dangerous just spiritually. Like outward circumstances, well, literally take our focus out there instead of on, on what or rather who is in here. Can I share with you just how dangerous unbounded despair is physically? Did you know that in the United States, one of the most prosperous nations in the world, life expectancy has decreased each of the last three years? It's a phenomenon that 
that really has not taken place since 1918, when the World War I was ending and the Spanish flu was spreading. Not since then have life expectancies decreased for consecutive years. Now, three consecutive years. Why is this? Well, scientists have given the reason for this a name. In the National Academy of Sciences, a paper was recently published that that labels the reason for this. You know what they attribute all these deaths to? Well, they call them deaths of despair. That people, because of the goings-on in their lives and in the world, are literally dying by hundreds and thousands in the United States because they have hearts that are downtrodden. That's why people are dying. And it, and it hasn't happened like this in, in hundreds of years. That's what has been going on in our lives here. So for us, what happened to you? Well, it's that. But here's what's happening this morning. We're looking at a story, a biblical narrative inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by God's prophet. And the purpose of it is, yes, to suggest that question to you. What happened to you? God wants to suggest that question to you, but not so much because he's really concerned with the outward circumstances that have occurred in your life, but more he wants you to know this, that in spite of those, positive or negative outward circumstances, you can have hope. You can have hope because what our eyes see, it differs from what God decrees. Back to Samuel. Samuel is looking up, laying on his back, but God comes to Samuel. God comes to him and he speaks. He says, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Look at this. God comes to Samuel in the depth of his despair. He enters the pit, looks to pull him out of it by giving him a divine calling to go. What does Samuel do? He's content to wallow in it. He goes, no, 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 God, I can't. I can't go. I can't go because what if Saul finds out? What if Saul hears about it and wants to kill me? Samuel, where'd that idea come from? Okay, okay, there's some geography going on here. Samuel's in Ramah, Saul's in Gibeah. He needs to go through Gibeah to get to Bethlehem. All right, so he's afraid to walk through it. He's afraid what happened if Saul catches him on the road. But Saul never said he was going to kill him. Samuel didn't receive some divine intervention telling him that this was going to happen. No, he made it up. That's just it. When you, 
when you grieve inappropriately, when you despair inappropriately, you do inappropriate things. When you are living with unbounded despair, you don't do the things you should do. What's the solution? Thankfully this, Samuel listened to the word of the Lord. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him and they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. There's a temptation. There's a unique temptation for those who live in a cycle that's leading to deaths of despair. There's a unique temptation for people whose outward circumstances lead to stinking thinking. There's a temptation for people who live with unbounded despair to react as radically to positive things as they do negative. In other words, there's a temptation for the pendulum to swing from unbounded despair all the way to unfounded hope. That is what Samuel is doing here. Samuel is in the pit of despair. God calls him. He doesn't want to take the calling. He's mourning. He is sad. He's overcome by hopelessness. But what happens when the first thing that walks into the room catches Samuel's eye? Surely the Lord's anointed stands here. What an amazing misidentification of the Messiah. What an amazing misidentification by Samuel of messianic hope. But you see what the Lord is doing with this story, don't you? He's taking that unique temptation, that, that temptation that exists for people whose lives are so often often determined by their outward circumstances. He, he's taking what is a unique temptation for people who, whose lives are not based on solid hopes, people whose lives swing back and forth between unbounded despair and unfounded hopes. And he's demonstrating to you the danger there. The danger of chasing after the first Eliab that catches our eye. The danger of false messiahs. Do this. Ask yourself, what is it? What is it that gets you high in life whenever life has you feeling at your lowest? What is it that, that gives you hope and happiness? 
if it's the latest fad, the latest leader to promise X and Y and Z, the latest book, the latest diet, the latest person you're following on YouTube, the latest drink, the latest vaccine, the latest win by your team, a new relationship, a new year. If, if these are the things that fill you with happiness and hope, the Lord's prophet warns to watch out. Watch out because these lead to deaths of despair. Look, can I, can I just give you an illustration about how dangerous this is? Dangerous living back and forth, swinging between the pendulum of of unbounded despair and unfounded hopes. The danger really of just believing whatever we see. Here's the illustration. How many of you have ever heard of the Innocent Project? The Innocence Project is a group that works in order to free or exonerate people who have been accused of and, and oftentimes even imprisoned for crimes that they have not committed. The Innocence Project did some research, and you know what they found to be the number one cause of, of wrongful imprisonments, wrongful accusations? It is the misidentification of supposed or alleged criminals by eyewitnesses. Think about that. What our eyes are seeing differs from what's actually going on. And yet, don't we give so much credence, so much faith to what we see? We say it, right? We say, I'll believe it when I see it. And yet, this is not only a problem when it comes to identifying who or who, who is not guilty of a crime. No, this presents a problem when Christians look out into their life and try to ascertain where God is or is not working. So often, people judge by outward appearances. And yet, there's a danger involved in that that the Holy Spirit is calling us to see. Our eyes, our eyes see, and yet so often what our eyes see differs from what the Lord decrees. Thankfully, there's a better way. Because the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. It's our big idea for the day. What our eyes see differs from what the Lord decrees. Look, when people fall apart, it tends to be because of their outward circumstances. Maybe it is coming down from a high. 
an unfounded hope and crashing down and living in a life of unbounded fear. Maybe it's that, or maybe it's living in the continuous cycle of chasing one Eliab after another. When people come crashing down, it is because of outward circumstances. But what does the Lord say? He says, I don't judge. I don't work that way. I don't look at outward appearances. Instead, I look at the heart. Oh, but maybe that doesn't comfort you. (laughs) Because when you stop and you step back and, and you look at your own heart, you think, I know there's darkness there. I know there has been unfounded hopes there. Unbounded despair lives there. Is that really a good thing that God looks at the heart? It most certainly is, and here's why. Titus tells us this. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, not because there's good things or bad things living in your heart, because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Do you know what God sees when he looks at your heart? He does not see righteous or unrighteous things that you have done. He sees the seat of his mercy. He sees Jesus seated on the throne in your heart, and he sees his righteousness. Do you know what God sees when he looks at your heart? He sees that you have been washed and made new by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, do you know what God decrees? He decrees that you have been justified. That is, you have been declared not guilty, and you live by his grace. What our eyes see differs than what Christ decrees. And what God sees and decrees is this. You are an heir having the hope of eternal life. That's what's in your heart. And that's what the Lord makes his judgments, his appearances by. But it's easy to cast that aside. Water and word decrees by God. Oftentimes, these are, these are so easily cast aside as things that are insignificant or unimportant, at least compared to the things going on in our life. And so also, well, was that which Jesus, which God chose to anoint, something insignificant, something unimportant, even well, in the eyes of his own father, Listen to this. Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's out tending the sheep. Pause for a second to note that not even David's own father thought he was significant or important enough to be there. 
Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Pause for a moment at what Samuel said. (laughs) The fearful, at one time impatient prophet, now exudes patience. Why? Because the Lord has been patient with him. The Lord has been patient with Samuel. And so they wait. And so he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Well, first Samuel chapter 16 makes unmistakably clear is that David, the Lord's anointed, David, a man after God's own heart, this was not chosen by Samuel. (laughs) This was not chosen even by David's own father. God has chosen him. God has spoken over him and God's spirit empowers him. That is what took place powerfully at the anointing of David. And scripture makes that undeniably clear that this is God's choosing. This is God speaking. I have chosen this one and his spirit powerfully pours over him. You know where, you know where else you see that? You see that at Jesus' baptism. The one whom God has chosen from before time began to be the savior of the world. There, God speaks over him. This is my son. I am well pleased with him. Listen to him. And there, powerfully, the Holy Spirit descends on him and fills the very one he shares oneness with in the Trinity. Oh, you know where else you see that? You see that in your baptism. In your baptism, God has chosen you. You are my daughter. You are my son whom I love. In baptism, God has chosen you. He has spoken his blessings to you. And in your baptism, the Holy Spirit fills you with the power and the blessings and the acceptance and the favor and the grace of yours that is yours in Jesus Christ. In the anointing of David, what God did was powerfully bind himself to David through the rest of his life. And in your baptism, that is what God has done to you. He has bound himself to you. Look, you know David's life. The man had ups and downs. Go read the Psalms. There was times where he was tempted by unbounded despair. There was times in his life where he lived with some unfounded hopes. And yet through all of that, he never once questioned, does God love me? Is God with me? Why? Because the Lord has bound himself to David and he had powerful proof of that through this anointing. 
Look, the fact that you're a Christian and the fact that you are baptized by the Holy Spirit will not change the fact that there will be ups and downs in life. There will be outward circumstances that look to bring you down negatively, and there will be Eliabs that come through life that you chase after, false messiahs. In fact, Scripture even goes so far as to say you can expect this. You can expect these things to happen because the devil will stop at nothing to try to unbind you from God. And he's going to do it through unbounded despair, unfounded hopes. But your baptism means that Christ has bound himself to you. This is why we talk about the fact that we don't say I was baptized then, but I am baptized today because the blessings of your baptism are such that they pour over you, not just once, but they pour over you each and every day of your life. Samuel had to wait. He had to wait through this sort of uh, male fashion show of seven sons to come by before the Lord's anointed. The chosen one was finally found. But when it did, it it changed him. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. I don't know this. (laughs) I don't know if there is rainbows and sunshine for Samuel after the anointing of David. I don't know if he skipped the whole way back home north to Ramah. But I do know this. The Bible tells me he, he went home. He went right back home. And he went right through Gibeah. What I do know is there's some spiritual geography going on here. Look, Samuel was in Bethlehem and he once was afraid of Saul in Gibeah. He once was afraid that Saul would kill him if he dared anoint anybody else. But what did he do? What did he do having seen the Lord's anointed, having received messianic hope? Hope that is not unfounded. Hope that is not thrown off by unbounded despair. He went right back through it. Oh, sure. Scripture tells us he mourned for Saul. He grieved for him. But he didn't fear him. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what's happened to you in 2021 or here in the first few days of 2022. I don't know if there is things that, that make you feel hopeless and make you feel like you're kind of just plodding through life with low self-esteem. I don't know what causes what, that negative self-talk, tells you you're unloved, and makes you watch the horizon as a cloud of sadness comes pouring in. I don't know if there is callings in your life that you fear. 
But what I do know is that what our eye sees differs from what God decrees. What I do know is, fathers, it's, it's so easy to look at your callings, your callings to lead your family spiritually and, and kind of despair that, that maybe I haven't been that good of a devotional leader as I should be. Parents, I, I, I do know that it's so easy to despair and, and, and look at the work you do as parents and just get tired. And yet God says this, get up, go home. I've anointed you. I don't know if you're someone listening to this in person or online and you think, I can't really open myself up to a community of Christians because I haven't really been the best Christian. Shoot, I, I haven't really even been the best person recently. But what God decrees is that in the presence of your brothers and sisters, he has proclaimed you to be without sin. Through the waters of your baptism, he has washed you and made you new. He has anointed you and poured over to you the words of his forgiveness again and again. Stand up. I don't know if there's callings in your life where you feel stuck. You feel stuck in Rama, and I, I can't go to Bethlehem. But today, in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born for you. A Savior has been baptized for you. And that means that Christ is with you, Christ is in you, Christ is before you, Christ is behind you, Christ is to your right, Christ is to your left, Christ is above you, Christ is below you, Christ is with you when you lie down, Christ is with you when you sit, and Christ is with you when you stand. So go. Yes, yes, what our eye sees differs from what God decrees, but what God decrees is that he has chosen you he has spoken his blessing over you and his spirit empowers you. So go home. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.